0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbas of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martini's coming up. We're glad that you are here for the Monday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're happy to tell you today we're sponsored by Hydrant. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini at checkout. We're not so glad to tell you we have no good martinis today, but they're all crazy. They could have been all bad, I suppose. So all crazy isn't the worst thing, but these are pretty crazy and some of them certainly do have a uh, bad flavor to them. Let's start with crazy martini number one, Jim and that's U.S. oil prices. You and I like low oil prices because we like to pay as little as possible at the pump, but this is getting pretty ridiculous. CNBC, U.S. oil prices were on track for their worst day on record on Monday with crude storage facilities filling rapidly as the coronavirus pandemic continues to crush demand. The May contract of the U.S. West Texas Intermediate, also known as WTI, futures fell to $11.54 a barrel on Monday, down more than 36%. It means the price grade is on pace to register its worst day back to contract inception in 1983. And Jim, that $11 plus seems downright bullish when you look at some of these numbers coming later in the day. It was down to $8 a barrel, then 4 as low as $1 a barrel. And again, we like low gas prices, but when the prices are this low, with demand this low, a huge part of our economy is uh, not able to sustain this for very long.
1: Yeah, Greg. I mean, just just imagine going back to anywhere from post 9-11, the immediate spike in, in oil prices kind of went down after a while. But then in uh, second term of George W. Bush, every other day was the pain at the pump and was considered to be a factor in the 2006 midterms. Uh, the State of the Union address: America is addicted to oil. And our effort to uh, no longer be dependent on foreign oil—a goal which we actually achieved on this country—we should hold our heads up high. Greg, at this point, it's an honest to goodness question: which is less expensive right now, a barrel of oil, or one of those big supplies of toilet papers that you get at Price Club? Greg, I don't know about you, i would probably got a couple. Yeah, I'm not sure where I'd store them. I'm not sure where. <laughs> <laughs> Technically, I need a refinery and all that stuff, but at this point, they're practically giving it away. It's a little bit, little bit tongue-in-cheek, though. You're, you are correct in that one of the reasons that we were concerned about this oil price fight between OPEC and Russia uh, was the sneaking suspicion that this was the two of them trying to figure out a way to screw up U.S. fracking and all of the U.S. industry that has exploded and grown with amazing uh, uh, you know, effects and ramifications for our economy over the last 15 years because, because of fracking, because of all these deposits and shale and all these other ways that we have, now we are an oil exporter. We are really great. But it only makes sense to do this if the price of oil remains a certain level. Uh, and you have some people to argue whether it's, you know, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 40 bucks. Where we were before all this uh the coronavirus crisis came along, we were doing okay. It, it made sense to continue fracking. There was a little bit of nervousness in the oil industry, but not a ton. Then these two large suppliers internationally go to war with each other in a price war. And then the coronavirus comes along and all of a sudden people are driving less right people are driving less to work people are driving less staying off the roads so they're not socializing they're not going on family vacations they're not dragging you know driving across country all that kind of stuff probably one of the weirdest descriptions I've heard recently of of the, one of the effects of this really worldwide quarantine and this reduction in human activity is just all the pollution numbers. Seismologists whose job is to listen to the earth, trying to see if, you know, earthquakes are coming and things like that say they're hearing things that they've never heard before because the background noise of human activity from industry, from traffic, from trains, from all the different ways that human beings through their typical activity of a day create noise it's so much quieter now um uh, so it's great news for the seismologists not good for the rest of us not good for the economy and uh this enormous you know sudden just you know, plummeting economic activity means that there's a much plummeting demand for for oil at an exact time when there's this huge supply And you're not used to hearing about um all of this turning into a situation where we, we're running out of places to store it and things like that i, mean, I guess the good news is we can restore the stockpile uh, the Strategic Oil Reserve. Right now, See, let's start building extra storage capacity. Who knows what uh, uh, we'll find? We'll find use for this. That having been said, um, I, I don't know about you, Greg. I'm going to reach the point where the next time I go to fill up, I'm going to give the, the attendant in the, in the in the little booth there a tip. Um, he probably is going to need it. Who would have figured at a time like this that gas stations would be uh, feeling economic pain in, like in this kind of way?
0: No, absolutely right. I mean, they're like the Maytag repairman at this point, because when was the last time you filled up? For me, it's been weeks. I mean, I've gotten out a little bit, but it's not to go very far, obviously. And so uh, multiply that by an entire country, essentially. And uh, you're looking at a situation where the production is continuing to happen. But like you said, we're running out of places to store it. And so uh, this is... uh, going to become a production problem here uh, very shortly as well. And so this is uh, going from low gas prices to a very big concern because there's a lot of overhead in the energy sector of our economy. And when they're not getting the, the revenues from all this, uh, it, it doesn't take long to, to really feel the pinch. All right, Jim. Uh, the oil industry is certainly in a uh, period of stress right now, as are a lot of Americans, because they obviously don't want to get the virus. And if they, they do have it, they don't want it to get serious. But uh, there is a way to make sure that you're doing your best uh, to maintain your health. No guarantee, obviously, against things like the coronavirus. But uh, not being dehydrated is a is a good way to maintain better health. And I don't know if you knew this, but 75% of us are walking around every day chronically dehydrated. We're suffering needlessly from frequent headaches, energy slumps, and poor focus, but it doesn't have to be this way. And that's where Hydrant comes in, because Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes
1: that your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There are no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a
0: variety pack. With the Oxford scientists, I almost feel like we should do this with a British accent. It would make it sound even more impressive. And Disappearing do... Charlie, Charlie Cook. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can save even more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini for 25% off your first order drinkhydrant.com and enter the promo code martini. All right, let's move on to our second crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, we keep hearing from folks from uh, Dr. Fauci to uh, less credible figures like Ezekiel Emanuel and others that look, uh, this isn't really going anywhere until we have a vaccine. That's 12 to 18 months. And everybody's thinking, oh gosh, can we really make it 12 to 18 months? Well, uh, that might even be way too optimistic. This is the UK Guardian. Humanity will have to live with the threat of coronavirus, quote, for the foreseeable future and adapt accordingly because there is no guarantee that a vaccine can be successfully developed, one of the world's leading experts on the disease has warned. The stark message was delivered by David Nabarro, professor of global health at Imperial College London and an envoy for the World Health Organization on COVID-19 as the number of UK hospital deaths from the virus passed 15,000. And so, Jim, this is uh, one expert, and yes, he's associated with the World Health Organization. I don't know if that immediately discredits him, but uh, it was already hard enough thinking 12 to 18 months on this, but to think now that there's going to be no vaccine at all and the impact that could have on large gatherings of, you know, dozens to thousands for the foreseeable future, that puts us in a whole new perspective.
1: It does. And, you know, we share this not to depress people, not to freak people out. Um, The upside is we have more brilliant scientists, more medical researchers, more people, more bright people in the world working on this problem right now than probably any other problem in the history of the world. That's the good news. The bad news is, is that discoveries only get made, you know, when that discovery arrives, so to speak, when that eureka moment occurs, that you, it is not simply a matter of throwing more money at a problem. More money helps. More resources helps. But back in that long ago pre-Coronavirus era, Joe Biden had made his announcement that if I'm elected president, we're going to have a cure for cancer. And I got really irritated by this, and not just because I've got you know a couple people in my life who are fighting who fighting cancer and so far seem to be doing okay. But you know, a global pandemic does does complicate that a bit. It's that if if it was just a matter of spending money to cure cancer, we would go out and we would get the cure for cancer first of all, there are more than a hundred different types of cancer, right? The whole, what makes a cancer tumor difficult to beat is that each cancer cell, they're constantly growing, they're constantly expanding, and they're constantly changing. People within a tumor have found they took four different samples from one tumor and found the cells were different in each part of the tumor. So the idea that, you know, you're, you're constantly trying to hit a moving target, so to speak, that the drug that worked at one point in the treatment may not work as well later on in the treatment. This is very complicated stuff. It is not a matter of just if we just spend enough money, it will solve itself. Now, I don't want to say miracles can happen, but you know you can have breakthroughs that seem pretty miraculous. I think if you'd said to people five years ago, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, what is the scariest virus on earth, most people would say Ebola. Uh, it was what the the horror, you know, the hot zone and and these other you know uh, book you know books were written about it was a big factor in one of the Tom Clancy novels and you know Ebola was the giant scary virus out of uh, Africa that you know terrified people we did have that outbreak in 2014 uh, and one person came here with this there is a now a vaccine for Ebola it was discovered late last year it was involved scientists on three different continents it was a lot of research and a lot of effort over time but it happened now the thing is it didn't happen overnight and that was a Um, you know, as, as bad as coronavirus is, Ebola is the one that freaks you out, you know, description of people bleeding from their eyeballs and stuff like that. Um, you know, we, this, this conversation may be moot by the time people listen to it. Like it's possible at any given moment, somebody can in some lab can say, Hey, I found something. This kills the virus. We put this into everybody's body in the whole wide world. They're all going to be fine. Um, unfortunately that, you know, that is not uh, something we can necessarily count on. I think the 12 to 18 month uh, estimate is pretty reasonable. No one's really said this is, you know, crazy pie in the sky thinking. Most people think it's going to take at least a year. Uh, you know, Anything less than that is pretty probably too optimistic. But we need to recognize there's no guarantee of this. And we may be living with this as a factor in our lives for the rest of our life. Now, the Resmavir... Um, Hydrochloroquine, the report of uh, people lying on their stomachs, we are going, day by day, we are getting better, more information to develop better treatments for, for this virus. Um, but the idea of the day we have a vaccine, the day we have a perfect cure, that means once you got it, you're not going to have to worry about it. Look, we're a long ways away from that. I think people need to be uh, preparing themselves for
0: a long, hard slog. Nabarro did an interview with the UK Observer, and this is uh, an additional quote of his. You don't necessarily develop a vaccine that is safe and effective against every virus. Some viruses are very, very difficult when it comes to vaccine development. So for the foreseeable future, we are going to have to find ways to go about our lives with this virus as a constant threat. That means isolating those who show signs of the disease and also their contacts. Older people will have to be protected. In addition, hospital capacity for dealing with cases will have to be ensured. That is going to be the new normal for us all, which is uh, probably not very encouraging to a lot of people, Jim, and it goes to something you've written about recently, is that if that hospital capacity has to be insured, that could mean elective procedures, and we're not talking about tummy tucks here, could be on hold for a long time, and that is bad for public health in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, um, and it's worth noting three states, Texas, Oklahoma, and Alaska, Alaska have already said, okay, uh, doctors, hospitals, you have the clearance to do this, look, you can't put this stuff off. Not only not forever, for probably too much longer. Uh, some people have been waiting five weeks. And in case you're wondering, elective procedures, procedures it's not, you know, plastic surgery, yes, that counts under that. But basically anything that is not life and death is considered an elective procedure. So uh, hip replacements, knee replacements, um, uh, you know, dermatology, dentistry, uh, anything that doesn't, you know, this person's going to die if they don't get it, it's in there. And oh, by the way, this includes certain cancer treatments. Um, Somebody I know has been told to look, you know, we want to, we want to hold off on this in part because cancer treatments can affect your immune system. And you know, this is a very dangerous time to be immunocompromised. Um, hospitals are having to make tough decisions on this. I do think, Greg, that eventually people are going to say, look, at some point we start sacrificing lives by not giving people the regular care in order to save lives for the coronavirus. So my guess is bit by bit, you're going to see hospitals opening up their doors to this. But uh, it's just one more complication that these uh, institutions have
0: to take into their calculations. All right, let's go on to our final crazy martini now, Jim. And for that, we go to the illustrious mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio. Bill de Blasio just today is upset with uh, President Trump not sending enough money to New York City. But over the weekend, Mayor de Blasio is out there with a uh, message that ought to make just about every American skin crawl. He's saying, for most of you, you know you're doing social distancing the right way. But for the rest of you, we need the good people to narc on the bad people. Here's how he put it.
1: Thank you, everyone who's done it the right way, but we still know there's some people who need to get the message. And that means sometimes making sure the enforcement is there to educate people and make clear we got to have social distancing. So now it is easier than ever when you see a crowd, when you see a line that's not distanced, when you see a supermarket that's too crowded, anything, you can report it right away so we can get help there to fix the problem. And now it's as simple as taking a photo. All you got to do is take the photo and put the location with it, and bang, send a photo like this, and we will make sure that enforcement comes
0: right away. So Jim, you've got Bill de Blasio out there explaining to the responsible New Yorkers how to rat on their neighbors. I can't imagine how this could go badly. You know, in that case, I got to call that hotline, Greg, because (laughs) I know of a prominent New Yorker who spent
1: all the, you know, most of a good chunk of January, all through February, and well into March, you know, despite the warnings, despite everything we were seeing in China, them spraying the massive bleach or whatever the heck it was to disinfect things, despite the reports coming out of lots of other countries all around Asia, there was a New Yorker who was running around telling people, live your lives, go back to your normal. They were even encouraging people to get together in massive groups in Chinatown. Um, let me just check this here. Oh, it turns out it's Bill de Blasio <laughs> was telling people to do that for, for that entire period. In fact, he was telling people... <laughs> the moment you rec- he should have recognized things were going well off the tracks was when he said if you were elderly or immunocompromised you should avoid large groups but if you were young and not o- immunocompromised you could continue to go out in in large groups who does he think these young healthy people live with you think they're never going to visit grandma you think they're never going to visit people who are elderly or immunocompromised um that was, I believe, off the top of my head, March 11th. By March 14th or 15th, they had announced all schools to be closed in the city. And the, the scale of the crisis was now indisputable. Um, the idea that Bill de Blasio now wants to, you know, uh, turn us into, you know, set up his own little junior Stasi uh, to start, you know, getting people reporting on their neighbors uh, is pretty egregious. He is, met, you know, there have been a lot of bad leaders in the United States, but I think de Blasio ranks among the worst um, the warnings from the city were terrible. And I, the people still argue, and I think it's a very strong argument, including some evidence from a report out of MIT, um, that uh, the, the, the subway system in New York City, in which you're spending a lot of time in an enclosed system, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes those trains are very packed, that that is probably the most likely vector for a lot of people getting this. Uh, certainly much more than spending time outside. You know, you're not going to, you know, your, your odds of catching it, you know, jogging in Central Park are much less likely than if you put your hand on the same spot of a handrail or elevator button or anything else in those, uh, in those city subways. So if he really wants to, you know, make things safer. He might have to do that, even though it would cause enormous inconvenience. But you would rather not do that. No, 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 we're not going to tough decisions like that. We're just going to get more Americans to rat on each other.
0: You know, he wants you to text this stuff in. Can you text in a German accent? <laughs> um, this is, that, that's something i haven't figured out uh how you could possibly do with texting but uh is this the, the dawn of social credit scores you know how the chinese uh have cameras everywhere and making sure that you're doing exactly what the yeah. communist we, leaders want you to
1: can we get the kids school test scores up higher before we start implementing <laughs> the social social credit rating uh test scores
0: you reelected this guy people i mean it's it's on you i guess jim happy monday happy monday greg Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget about our wonderful sponsor, Hydrant, drinkhydrant.com, and enter the promo code martini for 25% off your first order. Please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a kind review. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. And please join us Tuesday for the next 3 Martini Lunch.